It is our wonderful privilege to welcome to the pulpit these two servants who uh, serve Jesus Christ with youth uh, with a mission. We call it YWAM. Now, there's a term you should know, YWAM. Can you say that with me? YWAM. Very good. Um, having a powerful impact all over the planet. I remember the first time I ever was exposed to YWAM was in Amsterdam, uh, where they have a, a great training center there. And we were doing street evangelism in, uh, in Amsterdam at the Dom Square, and I was preaching just in Dom Square. And, and there were many, many uh, Dutch people and Europeans from all over, but there were all these friends who just showed up while I was preaching, and, and they were YWAM people uh, giving support. And, and, uh, and, and when I finished the preaching and invited people to talk, uh, they were right there to lead people to Christ. And I just had this great sense of partnership. And wherever you go in the world, if you're a Christian and you're looking for fellowship or you're looking for a, a Christian neighbor, uh, you might find someone with youth uh, with a mission. So uh, we're glad you're here today. Well, thank you. uh, the, the, the country of Nepal is on their hearts. They've been there in the past. They served as missionary trainers for many years. And now they're on their way back to lead uh, training for uh, nationals, to train nationals to go and be church planters. And more than just training, to support and pray for and disciple them. Um, we, I, Mary, I would wonder if you would not mind sharing just the story of that woman uh, that you shared last night with us. That's we could stand one. to hear that again sure. and um, encourage the congregation. And then, Mick, we will invite you to open the word and encourage us, uh, if you would. Yeah, sure. Um, we were talking a lot about the, the least reached and people who've never heard of Christ. And it's hard to imagine in the States uh, that there are people who really don't know who Jesus is. And we did. I shared a few stories last night, but one was about a woman who was a maid, and uh, she worked for someone in the diplomatic corps with USAID. And they, um, it was Christmas time. And Hindus often look for their, your god. Who's your god? And, uh, and it has to be something physical, a picture or an idol that's carved in some kind of stone or metal or even just a rock. You know, you have to have something that is your god. And so with Christians, they, they, they can't comprehend that we don't have someone that we're worshiping and that, that they can see. So this poor uh, woman that was serving in this home of this foreigner was just very concerned about this foreigner that she didn't have a God, that their family didn't have a God. But she did. She was a Christian. And when, she, when it was Christmas time, they brought out their nativity scene. And this, this Nepali woman who worked for her thought, oh, good, that's their God. That's got to be it, you know. And, uh, and she said, well, it is, but she couldn't share enough about the gospel, so she brought some wine members in to share. And, um, and they didn't just talk about the birth of Jesus. They took her all the way back to the need of a Savior and, uh, that began in Genesis, why we needed somebody who would rescue us from our selfishness, and took her all the way through the Bible, you know, and then finally got to the birth of Jesus and described his character as he walked the earth and what kind of a God he is and his faithfulness and his consistency and his kindness and his mercy and all the good things that we all know about Jesus that she had never heard. And finally she just broke down and said, that's him, that's him. But he was a rock. 
And in Hinduism, there's 33 million gods. And every household just picks one. But they don't, there's not one that's like the Lord Jesus. And so when she heard that, something in her heart rung true. And she was like, that's, I knew somebody was like that up there. So it's really, really easy to come to Christ from Hinduism or Buddhism, and even from Islam uh, and, and animism. So, you know, you, you just need to be encouraged that there are people that are waiting to hear that there is a God. Amen. Thank you, Mary. Okay. Well, Brother Mick, uh, uh, if you would, open the word to us and encourage us with your story. Okay. We're just honored to have you with us. Okay. Uh, did, did, will you also tell people what high school you graduated from? And, I will. And your little story? Okay, good. Everybody needs to fit into a box. You need to know where I'm from, okay? Well, I'm a local boy here in Long Island. That's kind of uh, the message of what I want to share today with you, is that God can um, take anybody and through the power of his Holy Spirit coming into our life, he can regenerate us and we can be used to do great things for him. And um, I am a testimony of that. I have had many, my mom and many old ladies in the prayer circle prayed many hours over me to come back to Jesus and I made my way back to the Lord. I grew up in the, the Stony Brook area, uh, went to uh, Smithtown High School, went to Ward Melville High School. Ended up in the Hamptons, kind of out where your church plant is. Um, I didn't go to church back then, but there were, there, unfortunately, went to a lot of clubs back then, <laughs> out then in those high school days. And, uh, but then um, I got, I realized that Jesus was the only way, the truth, and the life. I bowed my knee to him, uh, to his lordship, and uh, the Lord took a hold of my life. And immediately, the desire of my heart was I wanted to do anything he wanted because I was just so grateful to him for saving my soul. And uh, I won't go into the details of what he saved me from. You, I'm sure you've heard horrible stories, but God was gracious and good to me in his love. And immediately I wanted to be a missionary. I said, God, I want to go to the places in the world where people aren't going with the gospel. And uh, fortunately, uh, there still are many places like that that are waiting for people to come with the good news of Jesus where they have not heard that there's a Savior who came to the world sent from the Father. Um, thank you so much for the privilege of being here. The Morkins, thank you. We had a wonderful dinner with them about a month or so ago, and we arranged our time to come and share in the missions uh, conference uh, yesterday. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll get to do that again as friends and see what God's doing around the world. Uh, Pastor, thank you for opening your pulpit to us. And uh, uh, our old friends, the Heafies, Sue, and uh, the Currys. And uh, these are old friends that I've known through my uh, missions days. We did a wild trip to Mexico many years ago. And uh, maybe you can ask Mrs. Curry about that. I, I lost everybody's clothes. How's that for a great missions leader, huh? <laughs> How do you break the news to 40-something church people that they're in the middle of nowhere and I've lost all their clothes? <laughs> but that's another story, and God is gracious and good. We're here uh, representing, uh, uh, we are missionaries to the Himalayan kingdom of Nepal. Mary and I and my children, we lived for about 10 years in that country. Um, 
We were able to get an extended visa to stay in a disclosed, restricted nation. I was able to teach at the university, which is kind of a cool story in itself. Um, I went there thinking I could get a visa to remain in the country for a long time if I could sign up for their master's course in, uh, they had a course in literature, of all things, in Nepal. So I met with the director of the university, and him, with his broken English, and my broken Nepali, um, I said, I want to take the master's course. And he looked at me, and we sipped our tea. We were all very polite. And he goes, yes, we need you to come and teach in our master's program in world literature. <laughs> and I said, OK, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> so there I am with my bachelor of science in uh, liberal arts and teaching the master's program over there. And, uh, and that enabled us to uh, stay in the country for consecutively for many years where we were able to work with the underground church. Uh, many of the people we worked with had been arrested, they had been beaten, but they were standing strong for their faith. And this was a time when uh, the church was growing quickly and, uh, and strongly, and we were involved in discipleship. That's one of the things that YWAM does. Let me just quickly tell you a little bit about the country of Nepal. My hope is after our time here, some of you will come to visit us in Nepal. As we go from Nepal over into Bhutan, the Buddhist kingdom, which is still a closed, restricted nation. Um, so we need to see God do great things there. What does he want to do? Maybe you're part of that story. Uh, we need to continue to go up over the borders of Nepal into China, into Tibet where we're still waiting for the Tibetan church to rise up in strength and claim their inheritance in the kingdom. And then way over to the west of Nepal, there's a little part of India that most people don't know about. It's called Ladakh. It's another Buddhist area that's waiting. So there's still unreached areas that are waiting for people to go out and have their adventures with God and see the Lord do great things. Um, Nepal is about... Um, 500, 600 miles long, about 200 miles wide, a kind of a rectangle. It sits north of India, uh, a little bit south of China. Along the northern part uh, the, is a chain of the highest mountains of the world. It's the home of Mount Everest that borders between Nepal and uh, China. Uh, as you come down off those mountains, within 25 miles, you're down to about 6,000 feet, which would be like our Mount Washington up in New Hampshire. And there are hills that go across the country, and that's where most of the villages are. And then when you go down maybe another 50, 60 more miles, you're down in tropical jungles. So you've gone from the snow up in the mountains down to where you're literally seeing tigers and elephants and rhinos and jungle life. So it's quite a diversity. And in that country, there's about 44 different languages that are spoken, yet they are all learning Nepali as they're becoming a nation. And they've just gone through a period where uh, there's been civil war in the country and uh, where the Marxists have, were trying to take over the country backed by uh, China. And, but they laid their arms down. The Nepali people don't like killing each other. They're really friendly people, so they came to an end with that. And they are rewriting a constitution that is changing the lay of the land. 
And that's a little bit about what I'm going to share with you as we go on here. Um, the time in Nepal has changed from an underground situation to where the church is above ground. In fact, if you were to walk down the streets of Kathmandu today, that's the capital, um, in the past you would not hear a peep about Christianity because it was illegal. But if you were to walk down on a Saturday, that's their holy day, okay, as you walk the streets and all the workers come to a stop because it's their day off, you can literally hear Nepali worship songs to Jesus going up all over the place because there are churches all throughout the city and the, and the kingdom of God is growing rapidly and wonderfully. At that point, that's when we can usually go, yay God, amen? Amen. amen. And so, um, so God is doing great things with that. Let's go to our text. I'm going to share a little bit um, in the first chapter of Acts. We know that this is, uh, Jesus is risen from the dead. He's all majesty and glory. We were singing wonderful songs to our Lord this morning. And he's about to go up to heaven. And he's about to turn over the work of the growth of the kingdom of God, this partnership that we have with God, to his disciples and to us as believers for this next uh, period of history as we see the church grow. Um, so if we start in verse 4, gathering them together, Jesus gathers the believers in verse 4, he commands them not to leave Jerusalem. Okay, don't leave and go out into this world yet, but wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you heard of from me. John baptized with water, you know, that's the water baptism into faith, and, uh, but now you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom? Is this the end of everything when, you know, you come back and uh, is this the end days? I mean, what are things we hear today? Or, you know, is, or is the economy going to get so bad the Antichrist is going to come and, you know, and everybody's going to be walking around with a 666 and we uh, just start wondering about the future, and what is happening, and we've all had different teachings about what the end could look like, you know, whether it's good or bad, and wondering what's going to happen. So they're asking him honestly, this is an amazing time, is this the end, Lord? And, uh, and Jesus immediately sets the priorities. He goes, he says to them, listen, it is not for you to know the times or the epochs. Well, that wipes out half the teaching in most churches right there, right? <laughs> I mean, I grew up as a little kid looking at every chart under the sun, you know, when this has happened, that's going to happen, and all the different things, books, you know, the end time stuff. And God is trying to remind us of something here, some priorities. He said, listen, quit worrying about these things that we don't know the answers to, but let's be concerned about this today in the world that we live in. It's not for you to know the times and the epics which the Father has fixed. God is wise. He knows when the end will come and the different times are set by his authority. But he says, this is what you are to be about. And this is the call to the body of Christ. You are to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. As a believer, his Holy Spirit comes into our life changes us from merely natural, but that beautiful thing where we have God's Holy Spirit in us, 
that taps us into the power of, uh, of God himself as a gift. And you shall be my witnesses. What do we do with that power? You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and into Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So very clearly, Jesus speaks and they hear him and they go, yes, Lord. And these are his last words before he goes up into the skies into heaven. And look at verse uh, 10. Now, these disciples, the believers, are standing there gazing intently into the sky while he's going. And behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. These are angels. And they also, and they say to him, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's gone up will come back in the same way. And I wanted to encourage all of us today and myself, let us not be people that we've heard what the Lord wants us to do and we stand gazing up into the sky, wondering about what in the world is going on in our world. We don't know what's going to happen to the nations. We don't know what's going to happen to the economy and all these things. Not that we are to ignore them, but we're not to base our actions on the, the times and the seasons, but we are to be people that are filled with his spirit and do the things the Lord has asked us to do. Um, the Lord calls all of us to be involved in missions one way or the other. And for me uh, and Mary, our privilege has been able to say, okay, Lord, I leave the future to you. I don't know what it's going to be like. I know heaven's going to be wonderful. I don't try to figure it out anymore. You know, I just know it's better than anything I can guess. But we have a job to do now. And that's what the body of Christ is to be involved in. For us in Nepal, we've seen a church grow from infancy to where uh, little by little it's broken out where it can share the gospel openly. Uh, when we were back there in uh, the early 90s, um, one of the ministries we were involved in was seeing children in the underground churches be discipled, just like you saw the children come up today. Well, it was a program to work with the children there. It was called King's Kids. And the idea was to you know, show them that they're God's children and they love the Lord and, and we would teach them songs. And also they would learn how to share the gospel. They would long, learn dramas and they would learn um, and, you know, performance and singing songs and so on. And they were just so cute, even though it was illegal, they would not get arrested because they were just the children of the townspeople. And they were just little dolls. And so, um, so we had a King's Kids thing, a performance uh, that was being raised up. They were being discipled. There were a hundred children. Remember that, Mary? Mary? Place was just packed with kids in our little training center. And I said, well... I guess we're committed now. If we're ever going to get stopped, this would be the time. But uh, the town and the police and the authority did nothing. And so they were trained up. And then, uh, and so my job as uh, like the pastor or the elder, I would go out into the community and they said, get us places where we could do these performances that we can perform. And so I went to the town hall and set up a, a thing where they could come and do songs and talk about Jesus, and the, the town hall would fill up with people. Uh, we also did the 
People meet at Bipal trees in Asia, the big trees, and people rest while they're going to the market and coming. We set up a thing there. And one of the things we set up, I was, uh, went out to do, is that we have a Tibetan monastery across the river. And one of the kids said, we need to share the gospel with the monks. And I went, okay. <laughs> you, they're filled with faith and power and wonder, you know. And I said, well, let's see what we can do about that. And um, so I got on my horse, which then was a mo little Honda uh, 250 XL motorcycle, and went over to the Tibetan camp. And uh, how, how do you meet the head monk? You know, I knocked on the gate, and uh, some little monks came out and led me in. And I said, I am here. I want to meet the head lama. And they said, oh, very good, very good. And, uh, and they sat me down, and of course, they served me some tea, and I waited and waited for about an hour or so. Nobody came. And then um, I could hear uh, their puja and their worship going on in the background and inside the temple itself in the, in the monastery. And eventually, the, one of the monks came back, and he said, um, you can come and meet our lama. He's in there. And, and I go, okay, what are they doing? And he goes, they're praying and fasting. Isn't that interesting? They didn't pray and fast for their God's will to be done too. But, um, so anyway, he swung open the big temple door. I mean, it's like right out of Indiana Jones stuff, you know? And uh, wafting out his incense and heat and thousands of candles. And, uh, and they're all sitting cross-legged in a line on both sides with a, a walkway like this church up to the big multi-story golden Buddha thing. And at the front, I could see, is the head lama, sure enough. And so they're going at it. You know, the whole thing, you know, going at it. And I go, okay, here we go. You know, and I, I got my little date book, you know. <laughs> I'm here to set up a performance, and I go walking down the aisle, you know, and there's the Buddha, and there's the smoke, and they, and they, and they stop their own, their worship, and, uh, and I, I just got cross-legged with the, the Lama, the head monk, sat with him, and I said, I am here to see if I can bring these international children and Nepali children and they love God and they want to come and do a performance for your monks in the monastery to talk about the love of God. And I'm just praying, you know, under my breath that, you know, he doesn't kick me out or whatever. And he, he sits there, he looks up at me, and he's a young guy in his 30s, 38, 39, 40 years old, pulls back his robe, looks at his Rolex, <laughs> and he goes, what about next Tuesday at 1030? <laughs> And I go, okay. <laughs> and so he goes, okay, thank you. We will see you. <laughs> and so I go out. And so that's half the story. That's pretty cool. It gave me some insight into who these monks are. You know, a lot of them are there because they've been sent by their family. They have to do it. It's a religious obligation. They're waiting for the day when they're out. And, uh, and so that gives us insight how to share with them. So here I have these hundred kids that are totally psyched to start breaking open the doors of darkness and sharing the gospel in Nepal. And Tuesday comes, and uh, we rent a bus from downtown. We load them up in the buses. 
We get to the monastery and the sky is completely dark with monsoon rains and it starts pouring cats and dogs. And we were gonna do it in the courtyard where all the monks come out. <clears throat> and so these are little kids that have just spent like two weeks learning how to pray, learning how to worship the Lord and seek God. And they say, well, Mick, we just need to pray and ask God to stop the rain. And I go, okay. <laughs> and uh, those little kids, they just started bowing their heads and they all just started praying, some in Nepali, some in English. There was a couple German kids that were there joining them. And they started seeking the Lord to stop the rain. And I swear, this is the truth. And I know how missionaries exaggerate and make some whoppers of stories. But what happened, you guys, a hole in the sky opened up, the sunlight shone down right through the sky onto the monastery. There was no rain, and we said, quick, let's get out there. <laughs> and they ran out there, they presented the gospel, they sang these songs about the love of God in the language, they, they understand Nepali, the monks do, and they, they, uh, they gave them gifts of the gospel, uh, they got back after the performance, they got back in their buses, and boom, down came the rain. And God performs miracles. He comes when we do the littlest thing to back us up uh, to see his kingdom get established. Um, so out of those early days, God started raising up young kids who grow up to be young men and women who become the new leaders of the country. I'm going to show you a video, and uh, I have my capable video guys up there. How you doing, guys? And uh, this is a ministry that's been started by some of the young men and women that have been discipled in our training programs in Nepal, and we want to see many more of things, these things happen, new ministries we don't know about. Children come from the villages of Nepal where there are many times not enough food and no jobs, they come into the big city, they're sent by their parents because there's poverty in the villages. Go, maybe you can find something in the city. And of course, many times their lives don't work out too good. And this is a ministry that's been started to them. In the past, there were 500 to 600 street children in Kathmandu. And right now, there are around 5,000 to 6,000 street children living in the street of Kathmandu. So the number has grown to 1,000%. All the Nepali people treat them very badly. They don't, the street kids doesn't have any place. Even like the Christian people, they don't want to talk with them, they don't want to sit with them. And uh, I have seen even people like saying bad things about them when they came with us. <laughs> Most of the street children we have found so far 
are from the so-called low caste families. Uh, in the villages, the caste system is still a very big thing. It's still prevailing. And people don't care for the children of the so-called low caste families. Sometimes the street boys, they do some acting, uh, they're begging the money and making some bandages here in the head and uh, putting some blood from the soap and they um, lay down in the grounds and so many people they're moving uh, from the way and they feel oh the, the kids uh, is an accident so they feel uh, they need to give money. <laughs> Like we are working almost 10 years with street kids and slum kids. Many times we work from morning till evening and uh, sometimes we expect to see the result but very difficult to see the result. When we have good relationship with them, then only we are successful. So in order to build relationship, we spend a lot of time with them. And we share our food with them. And we play with them. So they become friendly with us. And then only, when, once the relationship is built, then we start telling them, you know, taking glue, taking drugs, uh, and smoking is bad for your own health. And later on, when they start believing in us, when they start having confidence, then we share the gospel with them. We tell them, just because Jesus loved us unconditionally, the same kind of love we want to give you. We give you food, we uh, spend time together with you, and we love you because God has loved us. Permissionally, pani keta kiri line deere prem karnu mecha Bible ko bachan anusar. Ani tese le nae ma pani ami kinskit pani keta kiri la besi dhan dijo ra keta kiri la besi man parauza. Yeah, this year we had a lot of lots of encouraging words because God did a very um, powerful thing. We have already seen around. Um, between 40 and 50 boys rescued from the street. We could see some boys accepting the Lord. They've been uh, put in one of the houses. We call it shelter, house of dignity. Our plan for the future is that they will find out what is their abilities, what are their skills in different areas in the society. So um, we are trying to push them forward to what they, they want to do. For example, we have people here that they already have 19 compositions of their own, and my heart does overflow with joy you know, to, to see what God is doing through their lives. I'm happy to be part of the process and uh, changing this life. It's not me, of course, it's God who changed, but <laughs> we are the channel. You know, I can be the voice for them. I want to stand for them. We want to see them become a fruitful, um, responsible citizen of the nation. So that is why we are working with them. We believe 
children are the future of the nation, so that is why we focus on the children. Even though it's very hard, it's very difficult, but God can work. Thank you. Isn't that beautiful? What God is doing? These are young boys and girls that have come to know Jesus. God has raised them up to be leaders. They pray and they're seeking God. They're starting the new generations of ministries out to do new things. And uh, Mary's going to come share, oh, come share a story real fast about Shanta. We got three, four minutes, and then I'll close with prayer. Trust me, I could do this. <laughs> Okay, I thought I already shared a story, but um, another one of the disciples, that was Sashi talking, the, the girl who said, I will stand for them. And another one of our, she was a disciple, came through one of our training programs and got a heart for children and started. She was the first one who started King's Kids. Another one uh, came to our training program, and uh, she was a Christian. She was high caste, and she told us when she first got there, the only thing I know about God is that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's all I know. And when she finished the training program, she said her life had so changed. In the beginning, her pastor didn't even think she was a believer, and he said, you can take her, but she's probably not, they're probably not Christians, her whole family. And through the course of the training program, it was about six months long, she changed, and they changed. Afterwards, her pastor saw such a difference in her life that he hired her uh, to go and do visitation with all the people who came to the church. Well, this woman was just such a fiery, you know, God had changed her life, and she wanted to help people. So in her off hours, after when she wasn't working for the church, she would go to the temples and share, it, you know, with people at the temples about Christ. Well, one day she stumbled upon a woman who was lying there, and it was evident that she was dying. And when she... Uh, tried to t help her get to the hospital, the, no one would take her, no ambulance. So finally, she got a taxi to take her to the hospital, and it was because she had HIV-AIDS is the reason that no one wanted to touch her, including the doctors. In fact, they put her in the morgue, and uh, Shanta, uh, the lady who had found her, our disciple, uh, brought, went into the morgue and said, I will, I'll treat her. You tell, doctors, tell me what to do. So they stood at the threshold of the door and told her, put gloves on, now you do this, now you do this. And she treated her as much as could happen. woman was dying. She had been a prostitute down in Bombay and had been sent home because they discovered she had HIV AIDS and was full-blown AIDS and was going to die. So they just paid her way to go back to Kathmandu. And all she had was the temple. Nobody wanted her, her family, no one. And Shanta picked her up and brought her home and um, called me. <laughs> Mary, you need to come over here. We don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I was just at the temple. So I went over and I met her. Her name was Fulmaya. And um, she was dying. And it was evident she was dying. And we began to minister to her. Eventually, Fulmaya came to the Lord. And she's in heaven now. She beat us all there. She's in heaven. But that birthed a new ministry to rescue women who have been mm. trafficked. And that's one of the things that I'm going back to do, to help communicate, bring awareness to what's actually happening, to bring shame 
to something that in our culture is shameful, so it's hidden. There it's not, and, and we need to really see a, a change there. So that's part of what I'll be doing when we go back. Amen. Thank you, Mary. Um, so Mary and I are returning back. We're going to work with the body of Christ. We'll continue to work throughout the Himalayan region with our different uh, missionary workers that are being discipled to be missionaries. We're going to be starting a center that's called the Himalayan Training Institute, where many of you, with the skills that God has given you, could come and give us a week of your skill, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a musician, whether you know video, videography, whether you are a mechanic. The idea is to get involved in all the different spheres of life with the salt and the light of the gospel and where I can get them into jobs out there with these skills they're learning that we can see a total transformation of a Hindu nation into a kingdom that can be based on the principles of our Lord Jesus. And then they can send people out into Bhutan, Tibet, Ladakh. So how do you do justice to a story like that in, in this short a time? But you know something now. And God has given each and every one of you uh, a portion, a foretaste of the power of the Holy Spirit that you can be involved either through being aware in prayer, you can be aware by uh, helping your church give financially to the missionaries that you support, and I invite you, you can be involved in yourself in coming and helping us. And in the back, you can get a card with our email address. My wife is a faithful communicator. I'm a little looser. <laughs> and she will respond back to you. You can get our newsletters, how you can continue to be involved. And nobody um, can miss an opportunity if you would like to be involved. Okay? Thank you. Thank you for the privilege of sharing the good story of what God is doing around the world. And there's so much more. God is great, and he is majestic and good and loving and kind. Amen? I turn it back to you, Pastor. Yep. If the musicians would come up.